Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, like the one released today, which definitely count. Oh, are you so sure of that, Dan? <laughs> I'm mischievous <laughs> Mark Giannacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annual that came out today, but that they don't count, Dan, so let's just stop pretending. I should probably not have brought up the one from today because it probably makes your case better than it makes my case because it's another one of those eight part crossovers across everybody's annuals that like I would love to know who the audience of these stories are. Is there really someone out there that buys all eight parts to the annuals? I gotta know. Your guess is as good as mine, Dan, so. <laughs> well, before I get myself too deep in, in a ditch here, welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider Talk. And today on the show, Dan, you and I are going to be discussing not that annual, but instead Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Number 70, Legacy Number 871, which is the prelude to Sinister War. This issue was written by Nick Spencer with art by Federico Vincentini, colors by Alex Sinclair, and letters by VCs Joe Caramunga. The cover is by Mark Bagley, John Dell, and Brian Reber. This issue was first released on July 7th, 2021. Dan, we are getting into the nitty gritty here on Amazing Spider-Man and Nick Spencer's run. Why don't we start breaking this one down? What's yeah, I mean, Mark, this to me is like the final transition issue of Nick Spencer's run. We've, we've kind of, this is a format I think that we're fairly familiar with at this point, which is, you know, kind of the check-in with all the characters before a big story thing. And I think true to form, his best stuff has been these transition stories. It's when we get into the actual story that the problems seem to arise for me, at least. I really liked this issue. I thought it was a lot of fun and I'm interested in a lot of the stories that it's setting up. And I don't want to say that I'm excited that Nick Spencer is leaving the book because that's not really the emotion that I have. I'm excited that these storylines seem to be coming to a head. And this issue does a good job of kind of moving a lot of them forward. Yeah, I mean, this was definitely a palate cleanser coming on the heels of the, the, the clone or the, excuse me, the chameleon conspiracy conclusion or lack thereof that we got the, the week before. I mean, you know, we're getting... 
Spider-Man content in rapid succession right now? Who needs who needs a team of artists and writers when you can just pump these things out once a week like we've been doing the last <laughs> couple couple of months here? Like you, I, I enjoyed this. Like you, I've seen this movie before, so it kind of my my expectations are still fairly uh, tamped because <laughs> I just. You know, it's 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 hard to get too too excited, but at least it's nice, as you alluded to, to see some of these threads finally seem to be getting sewn up a bit, or at least the the, the threads are there to be to be sewn up. Like, will, will he will he do it? We'll find out. <laughs> I still I still though do not really know what the sinister war is about. You know, we've got all of these parties, and I think this issue does a pretty good job of like moving all of these groups in place and setting up like kindred gives like a summary at the end, which I'm sure we'll get into of like all of their motivations. Like some people want this, some people want this, but I still feel like half the parties, I'm not really sure why they're included in this. I'm not really sure like what we're all fighting about necessarily. We're playing a chess game and the pieces are all set, but I don't know why black doesn't like white. And so in, in that regard, I'm, I'm a little confused, even as I enjoy, uh, you know, some of the setup here. I think a lot of that has to do with Vincentini and his artwork, which I still think is incredible. And I'm really bummed, and I hope that this changes in the future, that we did not get his name announced uh, in our that recent announcement about all the different artists on the Beyond team. Like, to me, this guy is a Spider-Man artist I mean, he's been great on other books, but I really love this stuff here. And I think he should be attached to this title for a long time. And if this is his like swan song issue, I mean, he did a great job. But I would be really bummed if if this is the end of Vincentini on a Spider-Man title. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't I wouldn't jump to that conclusion. I mean, you know, I know we got a bunch of artists announced for beyond, you know, the beyond arc and. But, you know, as we saw during Brand New Day, the, you know, the initial wave of creators that evolved over time. And I think, you know, if you're going to be producing three issues a month for several months, it, there's going to be room for others to, to, to slide in when needed. So, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on that. Yeah, I mean, there's no way Sarah Pacelli is staying on this for more than like a handful of issues because she can barely get that out. So, I mean, that's not like an attack on her, but that's like her pattern has been. She starts something and then, you know, Mysterio smoke, she's gone. Right, uh, right. So I'm hoping that, like, if we can be vocal for one thing, I want Vincentini on this book. And, and I'm sure in the editorial office, they're looking at these pages, too, and seeing the great success that they are. So do you want to get into some of the plot beats here? Yeah, sure. Let's get let's get in. We've been talking around it. You know, first up, we've got this kind of uh, prelude before the title page where, you know, Peter is reflecting, you know, hey, I've been through a lot, but actually, like, this is the first time that I've had a real moment to breathe. And, you know, let that be the the signal to cue bad things happening to Peter's life, which he goes to uh, Connor's office to see that it's been broken into. And there's Kurt in his humanoid form, you know, without his arm, which is different than it had been even though I'm confused as to why that was the case. Um, There he is without his arm, so at least there's some sense to it. And he recounts the story where the Sinister Six busted in. You know, we had had a tease of this last issue that, like, 
they were going to recruit the lizard. But of course, they can't get Connors to help them because, you know, he's controlling both the lizard and Connors. And he's not a bad guy unless he's being blackmailed like he wasn't hunted. So how are they going to do it? Well, we had the setup that the isotopic, you know, genome accelerator was working again. And they use it on him to separate the lizard from Connors once and for all, at least for now, because it's the lizard and nothing ever sticks. That That's the big thing. We get this reveal of this big lizard monster. You know, the question I ask myself is like, why haven't we gotten this story before? Like, this seems like a no brainer separating the lizard and Connors from each other. They're finally doing it here. Mark, what do you think of this kind of like start to the story? I mean, you know, definitely, like you said, like kind of exciting and a, and, and a good use of both, you know, Chekhov's isotopic genome accelerator. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, although I, I, I will add, you know, we were talking about in our last episode, like, you know, the Sinister Six and bringing the original band back together. I mean, the lizard was not a part of the original Sinister Six. So, I mean, we, we, we are getting some variation here. With all that said, that's fine. It's, you know, it's like you said, it's a good use of, of this plot beat that Spencer's been building at. He's clearly had a fascination with Kirk Connors and the lizard and his struggle going back to his first issues on his runs. We are seeing, you know, the 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 overtures and the themes of the symphony start to pay off here in a in a logical, sensible way. So kudos to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we all kind of expect like the whole arc, the grand arc of Spencer's storytelling to kind of culminate here. And I'm glad that the lizard is a part of it because, like you said, he was there at the start. You know, I, I do think that it's a little bit cheaply earned, you know, that like you can just shoot a laser at him and suddenly he's fine and it's been fixed randomly, especially after the events of Hunted, which really put like Connors through his paces like that, that this cure would happen to this character that he's wanted for a long time. It happens without really much of a sacrifice or just kind of like with a quick setup. It's kind of cheap, but I suspect this isn't the end. Like Connors is going to have to make a decision about the lizard by the end of this story, I imagine. Otto puts it great where he says like, you know, this this Faustian bargain. Yeah, Connors finally gets what he wants, but the lizard is on the loose and is on a major villain team. So even if he's free of him, he's not. He, there's some responsibility involved here. So I think it's interesting, and I hope this pays off well. You know, well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But for in terms of a setup, pretty good setup. That brings us to the next kind of, I don't want to say payoff, but like plot beat coming back around from the early days of the Spencer run, which is the, the whereabouts of Carly Cooper. You know, the mysterious Carly Cooper who showed up when, you know, again in the book after Kindred showed up, which set off alarm bells for some people. But, you know, we're, we're now dealing with the fact that she's gone missing, you know, I, 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 and, and in similar fashion, you know, I feel like, you know, Spencer is checking in on Carly by having us check in on other things that he's introduced over the course of his run, like the, you know, the, 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 the friends and, and, and significant others of superhero support group at Avengers Mansion with Jarvis. And it, we were, we're just kind of playing, playing the hits here of, of all of where, where could Carly be? And where is Carly, Dan? Well, yeah, she goes to Avengers Mansion to see Jarvis, who is, if you remember, is the head of this group that she joined called the Lookups. I got to admit, when they said the name Lookups, I, I had like a like a Pavlovian excitement from that because I was like, Lookups, Lookouts, 
you know, that's going to come back. There's no lookouts in, in this issue. Maybe a trend that I discovered that's not a real thing. Jarvis is also worried about Carly. He apparently has been checking in on her and nobody has any idea where she's gone. These pages are kind of like perfunctory. Like they don't really do much to advance the plot, but it is a check-in on like Mary Jane. And uh, I think, you know, maybe Jarvis and Mary Jane will get involved in this Sinister War story in, in some regard. It's a transition, you know, and I, and I always love seeing uh, Vincentini's Mary Jane. He can draw a stylish Mary Jane unlike anybody else. So it does bring us to the more interesting chapter, which is rejoining Carly Cooper back in the cell with the Harry Osborne that we saw. Or was it Norman? No, it's Harry. Confirmed now. That is, that is Harry Osborne in, in the cell with her. They start kind of trading stories about how they ended up in that cell. And Harry is allowed to go first because, of course, his is going to be way more interesting than Carly's. So, like, what does he tell her, Mark? What What is so interesting? Well, he's just basically like, yeah, you know, I'm finally I'm finally out on my own. I got my wife. I got my kid. Everything's great. And then, you know, there's some weird things with Osborne accounts. <laughs> <laughs> like oh <laughs> so it's a banking error that brought you back out <laughs> he went to visit one of his father's real estate holdings and then he gets ambushed by kindred and and then captured like i said it's a banking error and and that's why harry osborne or harry lyman i guess is probably the more accurate descriptor here if if, if this if we are to believe what we are to believe here and then that's it. Uh, you know, it's kind of, and I kind of laugh because Carly's like, you should go first because your story is probably far more interesting. And it's like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I got really excited. And then I was like, is that it? Like he just got like he's going to his father's real estate holdings and then Kindred like captures him in an alley. Like, uh, OK, Carly may not have been a great prognosticator, but. Her story is actually really fascinating. So, but she chooses not to tell it to Harry because she doesn't like want to upset him or whatever. So she, we get a kind of like internal recounting of it from her. She kind of confirms exactly what we were kind of theorizing, or I, I don't know who was theorizing it, that the other body that she found in the morgue was Harry's skeleton, complete with his hair, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> like even... Even in death, he his hair is neatly aligned in rows. Tootsie rolls don't decay, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, hair doesn't decay, so that's accurate at least. Anyway, kind of kind of strange. We needed to know that the skeleton was for sure his, and you know, Mary Jane looked at the skeleton, or not Mary Jane, Carly Cooper looked at the skeleton and immediately knew no one else has got that hairstyle. It must be Harry's body. So you know, this is really interesting. You know. It's played as like a big reveal, but not like an, like it's not the end of an issue. So I think that they kind of expected that we would get here with this. I mean, how many times do we have to kind of circle the like, it's Harry Osborne thing? I guess this is our first real confirmation that like, hey, Kindred is probably the Harry Osborne pre-Spectacular 200, right? Is that where it's meant to lead us, you think? Yeah, I mean, which is kind of what I've been saying mostly this whole time, which is like, you know, is he not not necessarily thinking that the other Harry was going to be alive and out there per se, but this like along the lines of this is not, you know, this this kind of personality shift is not, you know, incumbent on a character. I mean, I know it's comics, but like it, to me, it felt like this is this is a different variation of this character. But you know, so we're 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 kind of playing like 
Russian nesting doll games here, which is like, okay, so we have Harry Lyman, we have Harry Osborne, but we also have his corpse, and then there's Kindred, so who is who? I, you know, obviously, I, I'm assuming this is all going to get resolved in a, in a logical way, or maybe illogical, but at least it'll attempt to be logical. I, I, I think it's pretty clear at this point that the, the Harry from Brand New Day on is not the same Harry that people are seeing as Kindred. And, and the story that we received about him, you know, being faked his death by Mysterio and traveling to Europe is not as solid as we once thought it was, which I don't think anybody ever felt that solidly about. You know, we talk about Nick Spencer's Mr. Fix-It. This seems to be what he's kind of hinging his major fix-it on is that discrepancy. I, I do wonder what Dan Slott thinks about all of this. He's been kind of like snipping at Spencer on Twitter, like or like vague tweeting him. It, at least that's my read on it. I wonder if like there's a little bit of like, hey, that was my idea. You're you're looking to undo it. I don't know. So anyway, we, we transfer from that really interesting scene to the bar with no name where, you know, uh, Boomerang is brought back into the action and everybody is celebrating in the bar. But Boomerang, of course, looks very sullen, which kind of goes to what I was saying at the end of that story is like, I don't really see it as a victory for Boomerang. He wanted to be a hero, but nevertheless was forced down, you know, a, diff- a different path. Here in comes Overdrive and everybody gives him a hard time because he wanted to play hero and now he's back. And he offers Boomerang to hire him for a job. Any thoughts on this scene, Mark? You know, again, I feel like this is the perfunctory check-in on on another major character slash like plot line that has been evolving over the course of this whole issue. I mean, you know, like you just knew that Spencer was going to get one more run with his superior foes. I, I, you know, I, I think it was impossible not to. And you know, I don't I don't have much to add beyond that at this point. I mean, it, you know, it was nice to see, you know, nice to see Boomerang still has the conscious, I guess. <laughs> so then we turn the page or I guess it's just on the other side of the spread. There's this great image of like Peter, I think, sitting on an eagle. I, I really liked Vincentini's kind of like Peter contemplates images. Like you know, I'm thinking back to the one with him, like flipped upside down while swinging through the city, you know, and he's contemplating, thinking like all these pieces that are happening I'm sure that Kindred is behind all of this, he pretty much says, and uh, cues the transition to the lower half of the page where Otto is returning with his Sinister Five to confront Kindred, wherein Kindred says that Otto is allowed to choose the first five, but that he always had the dibs on the final six of the Sinister Six. And Mark, who is it? I, I got to admit, I was a little disappointed with this reveal because the way it was getting set up, it was like, well, he thinks he's out of the game, but I, I, I'm wrong. And I'm like, oh, is are we going to like, you know, reverse? I, this was my honest read the first time through it. I was like, oh, are we going to reverse what's been going on with Norman? And is he going to come back as oh, like... Oh, yeah, that is know, interesting. You know, the Green Goblin here, you know, like, you know, the Kindred is, you know, has undone it and, you know, is unleashing him back into the world as a sociopath. But no, it's Mysterio, which, I mean, again, goes all the way back to the first issue of Spencer's. I mean, we're really just like ringing every single bell from those first like five issues of the Spencer run and driving that that nail home right now, which is fine. But like, you know, but now we're bringing Mysterio and Kindred back together. You know, I know Mysterio is kind of trying to I mean, do we do we feel that he was trying to 
redeem himself or just get out of the game? I mean, what, what was your read on? I mean, I know that Mary Jane series was pretty bad, <laughs> but what was, what was your general take on what, what our, our good old Quentin Beck was up to? It seemed to me in the issues before the Mary Jane series that Mysterio was like really trying to like lose Kindred. Like he, he took the benefit of Kindred, which is bringing him back from the dead. But like he just didn't want to play the game anymore. Right. There's that issue where he's kind of tormented by himself as a therapist. And I think he's just trying to get out of it. And so the Mary Jane series allowed him some kind of like escape. I really don't like that series. I've said it many times. And I think the Mysterio characterization there is really bizarre. And when we came back, last we saw Mysterio, he was like buddy buddies with Mary Jane. But I don't, yeah, I don't know if that means, I, I think we're meant to believe that he's trying to turn good in some way. Even if I don't think the character is truly redeemable in that way, get based on his history. I don't know. Are they going to blackmail him? I, I'd be curious. This image of him, he looks kind of like, tortured a little bit. I'm not really sure how to read. Like it was, was he being summoned in that? I don't know. So I remains to be seen. Yeah. I'm I'm guessing they're going to either going to twist his arm in some way to keep him engaged with the sinister six somehow. And then what is, what is kind of kindred say as his coda to this issue, Dan, why don't you you take us out with some kindred mystique or maybe we can get Alan Churstle to come back to do his kindred imitation. (laughs) (laughs) I won't call on Alan for this one as much as I would like to. No, Kindred like kind of lays out the stakes of everything here. Like everybody, all the different teams motives. It's like there's six sinister six teams from all, you know, all over this run that are all, there's a, I mean, I think a really brilliant two page spread from Vincentini laying out all the players in this game, like 30, some of them. And I got to admit, it was exciting to see. I don't necessarily know that I like buy that all these people are truly that invested in whatever it is that we're doing here. And I expect the story to be just a complete cluster, you know, but there are ways to write those cluster stories. Well, you know, if, and, and I think splitting this into two books, right. There's the sinister war books and the amazing Spider-Man books where it seems like this big battle is going to take place in that sinister war book. Whereas the kindred stuff is going to take place in the primary book. I am curious to see how this all works out. So in terms of like, I mean, look, say one thing about Spencer, his preludes are always exciting. The stories, not so much. So this one sold me. By the end of this, I was pretty hyped. Yeah. So do you have a grade for it, Dan? Yeah, this one's like a like a solid B for me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm giving this a B. I mean, it's 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 good setup. I mean, is it is the follow through going to be there? I mean, we'll see. We've said this before with the with this run, but like this this. This was as good as a setup as we've gotten in a while from Spencer and um, at least at least for the time being looking forward to what comes next. Well, I mean, like this is it, right? I mean, like after this issue, all the chips are on the table, right? If Nick Spencer has been building towards this in whatever fashion, as critical as we've been of bits and pieces of it, like this is the story that it, it's all been building to. And if there's no vision for this story or no coherent vision to the story, like I don't know how you kind of recover from that. Yeah, you know? and and, and, uh, and so and it's going to get exposed very quickly, frankly, if there's no vision for it. I mean, like, I mean, every card is on the table right now. Whether you're talking about Kindred, Sinister, you know, the 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 classic Rogues, Lizard, you know, Kirk Connors, Carly Cooper, MJ, Mysterio, Boomerang, the you know, Bar with No Name, everything, everything has been laid out. You know, if you can't 
start firing those Chekhovian guns here, it's going to the house of cards is going to fall over and everything's going to be exposed. So there you go. No pressure, Nick. And I, <laughs> I don't know that there. Yeah, no pressure. But like, I don't know that any writer on this title has ever put such pressure upon themselves as Nick has for this issue or this upcoming arc. I mean, he has really like been loading, like, you know, making this thing all rely on this story. So, and and I think that's all he's doing. Like even, even Dan Slott, you know, with like the end of superior, it was the end of a story, you know, a story, you know, maybe there were a couple B stories there, you know, with the end of like his actual run, it was really just like a singular threat of, you know, the red goblin and how that worked out. This is every story he's ever written culminating like here, you know, I guess the lifeline tablet and, and the chameleon thing have kind of like, you know, ended, but not really even like the, I still expect all that stuff to be a part of this too. Yeah. it'll, It'll probably make one more run at it. So it's, that's a level of confidence that I hope he's up up to but i i don't envy him (laughs) and why don't why don't we take it home it's that time time for all good things to come to an end so we want to say thank you to you the listeners and viewers for tuning in to this episode of the amazing spider talk awesome well this episode was edited by rick coast with production support from andy myers our artwork comes handcrafted by artists ron friend sal busema and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. This episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So, if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? So, Mark, until I'm able to blast you with my own isotopic genome accelerator and separate your running persona from your comics persona, what's our motto? Wow. Our motto is, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.